following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Temple of Faith in Abraham would have said, Ah, you know, it didn't actually work out that well for me, right? I feel like... Um, you know, something's missing. Right? Um, in fact, it says in verse 13 of, of Hebrews 11, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Right? Actually, when it comes down to it, they didn't see a lot of answered prayer. They did not see a lot of things happen. But they are still commended for their faith. Um, so, so, uh, there's a lot they can teach us about faith, and because they are held up as models, uh, we can we can be confident that that what they did and how they exercised faith applies to us. And of course, that's the point of, uh, of the author of Hebrews putting them forward for us. So let's see what does this look like. And as we we look through these examples, I would say uh, that there there are three errors in our thinking about faith. Three things, at least for me personally, that I, I think I misunderstand and misapply about what faith is. And uh, these three characters help us identify those. So let's see if we can make sure our thinking about faith is really biblical, really rooted in the truth of God's Word and what He calls us to in the journey and life of faith with Him. The first error is this. Uh, faith does not begin with me. Or to put it positively, faith begins with God, not with us. What do I mean by that? Well, this is how oftentimes I think we apply faith in our life. We get this brilliant idea. Right? We get this vision. We get this, we're inspired with how we are going to save the world. Right? We're going to move to Thailand or we're going to go to Asia. And I, and I see this all the time. People coming and uh, because of our work at the foundation, they want to know if they can come and they... They've got these great ideas. Um, I'm not always, and I'm not the judge, okay? I'm not the judge, but I'm not always convinced that this idea actually came from God. In fact, I often ask people, so where did this vision come from? And very often, uh, people will not say, well, you know, God, I prayed and I fasted and I feel like God, most of the time it's just, you know, this is my idea. This is how we're going to save the world. Um, or we face a crisis or a struggle or a situation where, where things are not going according to plan, and we come up with our solution to the problem. I'm good at this one, right? Things are going wrong, and I have all kinds of ideas about how it can and should be fixed. And so we think, we think faith is this. We think faith is going to God in prayer and telling God, God, I'm in the middle of a crisis, and this is what you need to do to fix my problem. And I'm going to believe you because you promised if I have enough faith, you're going to answer my prayer. So I'm praying to you with faith that you're going to do what I want. Okay, that's actually not anything to do with faith. Okay? Uh, faith does not begin with me and my plans and my ideas and my will. And if we think that we can go to God in faith and impose on Him our will, our plan, and our purpose, and that if I have enough faith, somehow God's going to be moved to do what I want, we're really misunderstanding in a huge way, in a huge way, what faith is. That is not faith. At least not the biblical kind of faith that Noah, uh, Abraham, and Sarah practiced. Um, 
no matter how much we try to claim some promise and think if we can muster up, you know, uh, mustard-sized faith, uh, and, and then when God doesn't do what we demand of Him, we think faith doesn't work. But really, it's faith, not faith that doesn't work. It's, it's our misunderstanding and wrongly applying what faith is. I remember many years ago, I was in Sri Lanka uh, with uh, a group of guys doing evangelism there, and they would do these tent meetings. And it was impressive. They would set up these tents in these uh, tea uh, plantation areas, and hundreds of people would come. And they would preach the gospel with, like, blaring loudspeakers and super loud music. And, and, uh, and then at the end, they would invite, pe- invite people up for prayer, and people would bring all kinds of sick and crippled and disabled and I remember they brought this one boy who had, I think, cerebral palsy, couldn't walk. And they were just convinced that they were going to pray this boy into walking. And uh, I, I thought, you know, God can do this. And I wanted so much to believe, and I felt compassion for this poor kid. And, uh, I mean, they prayed over this poor boy, and they kept standing him up, and he'd fall down. And it was horrible. And I thought... I don't know, but this just does not feel right. Like, something's missing here. And, of course, in the end, after half an hour of praying for this kid, he still didn't walk. Did God fail here? Well, uh, I don't think God failed. I think the failure came in that they didn't understand this principle. They thought they could tell God what to do because they wanted to see this boy healed bad enough. God had to conform to their plan. But that is not what faith is. And in fact, when we see in these three characters, in each instance, each of them um, were minding their own business, going about their own life, when God showed up and God initiated the process with them. Right? Noah, what does it say? It says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Uh, Noah was minding his business when God showed up and God warned Noah about the things that were about to happen. That God was going to send a flood over the whole face of the earth and destroy it. Um, this was not uh, Noah's idea, right? Chances are a lot of people think, and we don't know for sure, but it's, it's, it says that it was an unseen event concerning events as yet unseen. Now, we don't know if, if Noah had never seen a flood it's possible back then. It seems like the world was kind of a different place. Uh, maybe he had never seen the ocean. Maybe he really had never seen a flood at all. Uh, certainly, he had never seen a flood that covered the face of the earth. Right? These were unthe- unseen things. So Noah didn't just one day wake up and think, I think I'll build a boat <laughs> the size of a football field, right? a soccer stadium, um, because I just think that would be a cool thing, right? This was not his thinking. It was not his idea. It was not his plan. It came from God who warned him of judgment to come, about events unseen. Um, and it was an a, a d- idea that must have come to Noah as something so bizarre and so out there. I, mean, I can just picture this guy out here, you know, in the middle of a desert or in a landlocked anyway, building uh, this boat. In fact, it's significant that it's called an ark. Do you know what an ark is? An ark is not a boat, actually. An ark is a box. Right? They didn't even know what to call it. They just built a box. <laughs> He'd never seen a ship, never seen a boat. I just built a box, big box. Right? 
Um, that's how radical this idea was. And yet, um, it was God's plan. In fact, God gave very specific and detailed instructions about building it so that what Noah was doing was not his own idea. That it came from God. God warned him and he responded to that warning. Second one, verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Okay, again, Abraham's minding his own business, going about his life when God shows up and God calls him. Picks up his cell phone. I don't know how he called him. It was not a cell phone. God showed up to him somehow and called him. He said, I am going to send you to a land you've never seen before and I'm going to give it to you as an inheritance. Um, uh, he, he was not... He was not this is, Abraham was not sitting home one day thinking, you know, I don't really like it here. I think I want to move. Get out Lonely Planet. Start thumbing through. Oh, this looks like a nice place. The, Jordan Valley. Look at all that. looks like a nice spot, right? Google it. Look at pictures. Ah, this is a nice spot. I can see myself living here. I think I want to go there. No, right? God shows up and says, I'm going to send you to a place you've never been and you have no idea about. Now, some of us, because we've come to Thailand and, and Asia and different places, we kind of know how this works. We feel like God, and we can, we can Google it, right? We can look at the photos, and yet it's still a little terrifying to go to some place we've never been. Imagine for Abraham what it was like to be sent to this place. He had no idea, like, who was there. Was it a beautiful place? Was it an ugly place? Was it a barren desert with just rocks? Or was there food? Had all these questions. He had no idea where he was going. Uh, this was not his idea. It was God's idea. And God called him to his plan and his purpose. Uh, the story of Sarah, verse 11. It says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Remember the story of Sarah? Again, this is a great example of somebody. This was not her plan. Uh, when God shows up, if you remember the story in Genesis, uh, God comes in, in with some angel buddies as travelers on the road, and uh, Abraham tells him to come and eat and Sarah fixes some and the servants fix some some roasted goat and some bread and they're sitting there and and the angel says or the, the Lord says about a year from now I'm going to come back and Sarah's going to have a baby now Sarah was 90 years old 90 okay um I don't, I don't know exactly how a 90-year-old female thinks, but I'm pretty sure 90-year-old ladies don't think, I think I'm going to have a baby. Like, I just think, you know, it's time. And we know that she had been barren for decades, decades she had been trying to have a child and it hadn't worked. And she felt the disappointment and pain of that for decades. There is no way in her mind she thought, I'm just going to trust God, Right? I'm just going to believe God at 90 years old and my husband's 100 and we're going to have a baby. And this was not her idea. In fact, when the angel said it, the idea was so ridiculous to her, she laughed. Right? She laughed because it was so absurd. Um, but God showed up and God revealed to her a very clear and specific promise. And while she laughed at it at first, somehow that promise grew and it says that she counted him faithful. 
that he would keep his promise in his word. So you see, in each of these instances, it's, it's important to see that each time God showed up and he revealed something specifically to them about what he was going to do, about his plan, about his purpose, about his warnings, his call to, to go, his call to do something, uh, his promise to meet them in a very specific way. Uh, that's where faith begins. Uh, with God's revelation to us, with God speaking with us, with God showing us his warnings and his leading, his calling and his promises. Um, not with your idea how to solve the present crisis. Now, of course, I, I know and I get that when we're when life's falling apart and things are going wrong and you just found out you have cancer or, uh, you know, found out you don't have any money or whatever emergency you're in, um, you know, we want it fixed and we want answers and we want God to tell us, we want God to fix it for us and we have our ideas about what that looks like. And I get that. And there's nothing certainly wrong with praying in those times for God to meet us and to help us. But faith is not coming up with our plan and then prayerfully putting that plan on God and expecting Him to do what I think. Right? Instead, it is waiting on God. Um, and, and the truth is that faith really begins, if this is true, if faith begins with God acting, God speaking, then the first step for us in faith is learning to listen. Right? If, we really, if we really want to walk in faith, it means we need to start learning to listen to God and hear what he is speaking to us. Right? What is he promising us? How is he leading us specifically? Right. How is he directing us? What is he warning us about in our life that, that he is speaking to us? Um, a lot of people uh, know about George Mueller. Maybe you've heard of him. lived about 150 years ago and started these huge uh, orphanages in England. Uh, one time I think there was over 2,000 kids in, in, in his home. And uh, he's most famous for the fact that he never asked for uh, any kind of support for these kids. Right, so you can imagine feeding 2,000 children and building buildings. And he never once set out a prayer letter asking for support. He never went to churches saying, you know, you all need to give me money so I can do this. He never did that. He just trusted God. A lot of people think, man, I want to live like George Mueller. You know, I'm just going to trust God. And they go out there and, you know, they move to Thailand and they're just, God's going to provide. And God doesn't provide. I remember one of my professors in Bible college did this. There was a school break, and he decided he was going to do this during the school break. The dining room was closed, and he didn't have a car. So he decided, I'm just going to watch how God provides for me. And it turned out, it turned out to be a week-long fast for him. <laughs> because actually it turns out God didn't provide anything. Um, so maybe you've had that experience. Well, the problem is this. George Mueller will tell you that, that he didn't just put it on God that God was going to take care of all these children. No, in fact, uh, Mueller believed that, that it, it, was, it was critically important to listen to God and hear what God was asking him to do. And he was convinced that God asked him to start taking in these orphans. And he had a clear calling that God was bringing him and leading, uh, raising him up to provide a safe place for these, these orphans. And this was his conviction that God would never call him to do something that God would not provide fully all the resources to, to, to sustain the work he called him to. 
So he wasn't just uh, putting his plan on God. He was walking in obedience, and as a result of that, he knew God would take care. Uh, another contemporary of George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, said this, that God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. But he would be very quick to say that the key in all that is that it's God's work and it's God's way, right? not our plan and our will. So the first thing that we have to do if we want to be people of faith is learn to listen to God, to hear his, uh, to confront and come face to face with, with his revelation, and then have confidence to step out in faith with what God has told us. Right? That's where faith begins. So the second big thing we need to know about faith is that faith requires obedience, not works. We've heard God speak. We've, we've been still. We've waited on him, and we've tuned into what he is speaking to us. Then when God does speak, it requires for us to step out in obedience. But obedience has to be distinguished from works. There's a difference. Because we all maybe know of this debate, and, and uh, this kind of goes back to Martin Luther, uh, who who said, faith can't have any part of works. Uh, and, and his whole thing was, you know, uh, faith and works do not mix. In fact, so much so that he, uh, he threatened to take the book of James out of his Bible. Luke, Martin Luther hated the book of James. And his problem with the book of James was that in the book of James it says, faith without works is dead. And that would just send Luther, like, his blood pressure would, like, go out. He would explode. He just couldn't deal with this, right? Of course, you've got to understand a little bit of the context of Martin Luther. Uh, he, he was, of course, a devout Catholic monk before he came uh, to understand what the Scripture really taught. And he uh, lived out his whole life on the basis of doing good works for God. Uh, he'd become a monk. He fasted. Uh, he beat himself. He, he tried to live an extremely moral life and do every kind of good work and good deed he could but for him, it had the purpose of gaining merit with God. See, for him, works was actually a substitute for faith. He thought the basis of his relationship with God was his own effort, his own trying, his own goodness, not faith in, in what God supplied, God's righteousness put to his account. So when he came to faith in Christ, he understood the power and significance of faith he rejected all of his own self-righteous working, all of his own efforts, everything that he had done to try to make himself worthy of God's approval. And he said, that is all trash. It is worthless. The basis of my relationship with God must be faith alone in what God has done through Jesus and through the cross. That's my only hope. There's no work I can add to that to make me right and acceptable in God's sight. And on that, uh, Martin Luther is dead on, absolutely correct and right. Uh, we cannot, by our own effort, our own self-righteousness, contribute anything to the work of Jesus on the cross. Uh, so when we talk about faith and obedience, we're not talking about my effort to earn God's approval or to, or to merit his goodness. Um, but what Luther didn't understand, or at least uh, his hang-up, is that there's a difference between works and obedience. And I can relate to this because for many years of my Christian life, I did not understand that difference either. There's a world of difference between my self-righteous works and stepping out by faith in obedience. Uh, and, and the truth is that faith always requires a response to God in obedience. 
When God speaks to us, when he promises, when he warns, when he calls, when he leads, we have a choice to follow him in obedience or to ignore his word and his truth. Um, and, and, and that stepping out, that response is in, in faith always requires doing something. And we see that with, with these, these examples. Uh, first, with, with Noah. Uh, what does Noah do? Well, Noah fears God with a reverent fear, and he builds this massive ark. Right? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, construct, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Uh, uh, he responded to God's warning with reverent fear. In other words, he believed that God was a God of wrath, who was good on his word to destroy the wicked uh, humanity that lived on the earth at that time. Um, and so he stepped out out of that fear, and he uh, did what God instructed him, and he started building this massive boat. And, and this reverent fear overcame the feeling of looking ridiculous. And I'm telling you, he had to look ridiculous. I mean, I can just imagine he's out there building this massive, you know, ark, this boat. And I'm sure his neighbors came by and they said, what are you doing, Noah? And he says, I'm building an ark because there's going to come a flood and the whole world is going to be wiped out and me and my family and everybody who gets on this boat with me is going to be saved. Do you want to join me? And they're thinking, okay, that guy's like, uh, he's a little crazy, right? He looked ridiculous. And that's, that's the journey of faith. Sometimes God calls us to do things that look ridiculous. But his fear of God and his belief that God's promise, his warning was true, outweighed how foolish it may have made him look. And so he followed God, and he did what he said. He was obedient to do exactly what God told him. And just a side note, by the way, it says that, it says that, that this ark was... Um, condemned the world. Uh, now, we don't know that if Noah... There's two ways this could have gone. One, the, the ark itself was a mark of condemnation. And what's ironic about this is the ark was both the way of salvation, and I'm sure Noah said, look, this, this ark is your hope. You know, if you don't want to die in this flood, you need to get on this ship with me. But when they rejected it, it became what? The ark became their condemnation. And what a great picture for us as believers. You know, we proclaim the gospel of Christ. But the gospel of Christ is both salvation to those who receive it and condemnation to those who reject it. Right? And, and so one message has two outcomes depending on the response of those who follow. Um, what about Abraham? It says, well, by faith Abraham obeyed. Straight out, he obeyed. Uh, in response to his call to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, right? He went following God, not having any idea where he was going. And he went to live in the land of promise as, a, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promises. Uh, faith listens and faith obeys, and it surrenders my plans and my will uh, to follow where God leads. Um, now, it's true that there is a kind of obedience that has nothing to do with faith. And that's what Martin Luther was so worried about. There is a legalistic kind of obedience that's keeping rules that has nothing to do with faith. It, and that is, is a self-righteous effort to be good, 
to, to impress people or impress God by keeping all the rules. That's not the obedience that we're talking about here. What we're talking about is a true obedience that listens to the voice of God and responds when God speaks by doing exactly what God calls. Um, Andrew Murray warns us this way, this is the danger of uh, misapplying obedience. He says this, To deal too exclusively with the Word, that is the Bible, as the ground of faith, will lead to a faith that is more intellectual than spiritual. Let me say that again, just so it sinks in, because it sounds kind of funny. To deal too exclusively with the Word, the Bible, as the ground of faith, will lead to a faith that is more intellectual than spiritual. A faith that, as the church so universally shows, rests more in the wisdom of men, in the power of reason, than in the power of God. Now, I can assure you Andrew Murray is not telling us we shouldn't take the Bible seriously. But what he's saying is this, that we can read the Bible void and empty of God's active, living, personal voice. And that's a problem. The Bible can become empty theology and rules that we follow blindly and not in a personal way. And obedience requires God speaking to us through his word and by his spirit personally. Where, where we read his word and God speaks to us. And I hope you know the difference. I hope you've experienced that difference between reading his word as just an empty book where God's a million miles away and it's just empty rules and regulations and stuff and we obey it blindly and legalistically. If that is not faith. But I hope you've experienced opening God's word and, and reading and and the words just jump out to you and grab you by the throat. You ever had that experience, right? Where it's not just words, it's the Holy Spirit quickening and enlivening His Word, and it grabs you, and you know it's personal. And sometimes painful. I mean, I've had God speak those warnings to me where there was sin and things in my life that were wrong, and, and it's painful when He grabs you by the throat and says, you're not walking according to my truth. It's not legalistic. It's, it's meeting God in his word in a way that's real and alive and dynamic. And there's some quality to the voice that we hear when God speaks to us in a way that, that convicts us or that leads us or directs us. Uh, I remember reading many times the Great Commission in Matthew, the end of Matthew 28 <laughs> and Acts chapter 1 uh, and knowing that uh, I have some responsibility to evangelize the world, right? And so I thought, yeah, I need to go out. I need to be, you know, saving the world. And I was interested in missions in some generic level, <laughs> as long as I wasn't having to go personally, right? And I was glad to have missionaries come and share in church, and I would pray for them. And, Amen. Go bless you, brother, as you go to some crazy place, right? But then I remember one day when God spoke to me personally and said, Tim, I want you to go to Thailand, and I was like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> right? I don't think so. Uh, I, had, I had then at that moment to respond in the obedience of faith or to tell God he was crazy, right? Which were my first thoughts. Um, so something personal about listening and hearing God speak through his word. Okay. Third example, Sarah. This is the best one. Okay. Faith, uh, it responds, it obeys and ultimately, faith does the impossible through God's power 
not my own efforts. You see Sarah doing the impossible. And I love her example because Noah could have built the ark to some measure in his own strength. Maybe he was Mr. Amazing Super Carpenter, an engineer and built skyscrapers or something. And like this was in his skill set, maybe. And we could envision him in his own power and ability building this, right? Maybe Abraham was a wanderer and, and you know, liked, liked living in tents and was happy to go wherever. In his own strength, he could do that. But Sarah having a baby, like, this is off the charts. Like, this is just not, like, in her skill set. She'd already proven that after 90 years. Like, this was not going to happen. It says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. I love that, right? This is not something she did in her own strength. And that's what faith is. Faith is being empowered by God to do what we cannot do on our own. And she's a great example of that. Received power to conceive even when she was well past the age. Since she considered him, as God, faithful to his promise. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. Okay? So uh, I love this. Sarah's barren, and her husband's as good as dead. <laughs> How'd you like to be described? Maybe some of your wives are, you know, just describing you as that way. Yeah, he's as good as dead, right? Wow. Um, it, but, but to her was born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. How did she do that? By the power of God alone. She really didn't do anything other than just believe and by that faith receive into her life this power to do a miracle. Um, You know, Sarah did not say, when, when, when God says, I want you to make a baby, Sarah did not say, oh, I've got this. I'm a woman. I got this. It was the power of God. Faith does the impossible by God's power. And that's where I think Martin Luther was right. It's not by our works, not by my effort, not by my will, not by my determination. But even in the small things, we recognize that we need God's empowering influence in our life. That we do the impossible, big and small, not by my strength, but by God's amazing power. Okay, so faith is not works but it is always walking in obedience, listening to what God is calling, warning, and promising, surrendering to his will and not trying to push my will on God, responding to his revelation by doing everything he asks in his power, not by my ability or strength. The last thing, real quick. Third thing. Faith looks to the future, not the present. Um, I think one of our greatest errors of faith in our journey of faith is that we think that this is all about my life here and now. Right? We want to solve all of today's problems and we want to fix today's things and we want this all to work out now. And so when it doesn't work out now, we think faith did not work. But that's to greatly misunderstand the focus and direction of faith. Uh, remember verse 1. He said, faith is the, con- the substance of things hoped for. Hope is future. Right? The, the convincing proof of things not yet seen. Those things out there, those things in the distant future. 
Faith is primarily future-focused. Notice what it says in verse 9 about Abraham. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. But notice how he lived there. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Okay. Abraham was living in tents. Tents are very temporary. Uh, he was moving around, but he was looking for a city with foundations. It means a permanent place whose designer and builder was God. Um, and that place was not Jerusalem. It was not in Canaan. Right? It was an eternal city. It was, it was a heavenly city. Uh, how do we know that? Well, look at verse 13. These all died in faith. So Abraham, Sarah, Noah... Uh, Isaac and Jacob, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Right? They did not see this happen in their lifetime. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. You need to underline that verse in your Bible, because that's really what this whole passage is about. Right? They did not receive the promise. They saw it from a distance. They greeted it. They welcomed it from afar. And they were acknowledging that they were strangers and exiles on earth. They were acknowledging that they did not belong to this world. Right? They were not looking for the fulfillment of the promise in the land of Canaan, here and now. They were looking for the fulfillment uh, in the eternal realm of heaven. Right? That's where faith should ultimately focus. Uh, one of the things that we need to do to be effective in faith is we need to recognize we are sojourners. That means we don't belong here. Right? Verse 14, For people who speak like this, of being sojourners, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had come, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What's clear is that Abraham and, and Sarah, they were seeking a heavenly homeland. And it says they were literally, the word means diligently seeking. Right? Their focus was not on this life or this world. They were diligently seeking a better home. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly homeland. We need to acknowledge that we are exiles and strangers on this world. What that means is, you know, we all kind of know what the word expat means, right? It means somebody not living in your home country. Most of us here, not all, but most of us are living here as expats. We're strangers. We're sojourners in Thailand. And what that means is, if they don't fix the whole work permit thing, we're leaving. <laughs> right? Or for some number of other reasons, um, we're not guaranteed a place here. Right? We're not allowed to, to buy property. We're not allowed to own certain things. Right? We can't vote. We can't you know, have an impact on the political scene here. Why? Because we're visitors. We're sojourners. We don't belong in, to this country. We're not citizens here. Well, we should get that that's exactly what uh, 
our attitude should be not just to this country, but to planet Earth. The reality is we are expats living on planet Earth. It doesn't matter what country you and even your passport country, you should live there as an alien, a stranger, somebody who doesn't belong. Um, he said they could have gone back, but they didn't because they knew that was not the answer. They were focused on another homeland. Uh, they were looking for their real home. Uh, let me just read a couple of quotes from Tim Keller in his book, The Prodigal God. He talks about this concept of home. Right? How many of you get homesick? Sometimes I get homesick. It like aches, right? I, I miss my grandkids. I miss certain foods I can't get here. I miss that waking up in the morning and actually feeling kind of cold, right? instead of sweltering heat. I, I miss that, right? Um, but there's more to our homesickness than just that. And Tim Keller writes, Home exercises a powerful influence over human life. Home is a powerful but elusive concept. The strong feelings that surround it reveal some deep longing within us for a place that absolutely fits and suits us, where we can be ourselves, or at least find our true selves. Right? That's home, right? That place where you are so comfortable, where you fit so well, that, that you're home. The memory of home seems to be powerfully evoked by certain sights, sounds, and even smells. But they can only arouse a desire they can't fulfill them. Many people share how disappointing Christmas and Thanksgiving are to them. Right? There's some of you out there who you know who you are, who like Christmas is like capturing home. Like you're, this year you're going to get it. Like everything's going to come together, all the pieces are going to come together, and you're going to feel this feeling, right? Um, some cultures have, some other cultures it's a different holiday. But trying to, to capture the spirit of home they prepare for holidays hoping that finally this year the gathering of the family at that important place will deliver the experience of warmth, joy, comfort, and love that they want from it. Don't you ever long for that? Right? That warmth, comfort, joy, love, of belonging. But these events almost always fail and we are crushed under the weight of our impossible expectations. No place or actual family ever satisfies these yearnings. Amen? <laughs> yeah, it's always disappointing. Right? Um, and we know why. Genesis tells us that uh, when God created us, he put us in this garden that was home. We lived in God's presence without fear or sorrow. We could be who we really were, living in the face of God. But what happened? Well, sin caused us to be kicked out. And so for all these years, we've been searching for a home. But praise God, through Jesus, right, we can go home. But we, we have to understand that home is not on this, 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 this earth. Right? And if our faith is all wrapped up in trying to get heaven here and now, we will be terribly disappointed. And we will feel like faith did not work. But the example of, of, of Moses and I mean, of Noah and Abraham and Sarah is that they died in faith. Right? They died looking forward to the ultimate promise, knowing that it's not here. 
Right, so if you prayed for somebody to be healed and it didn't happen, it does not mean that God did not see your faith. It just means that the healing is later. God's going to heal them later. He's going to restore them to perfectness later. We just have to wait. Right? If all of your problems didn't get fixed and worked out the way you thought they should here and now, it's not because God's not working and because he's not going to answer your prayer. He will. But the final answer does not come in this life. This is not our home. We have to keep our faith focused forward. Faith is seeing the unseen. And faith that works is deeply focused on the unseen realm, seeking our heavenly home, desiring eternal life with the invisible God. And of course, it does impact this life. As we walk in obedience, it changes how we live here and now. That's, that's the walk of faith. Right? So if it's not working for you, a couple of things to, to take inventory of. Uh, if faith is not working, you need to stop and ask yourself, am I really taking time to listen to God and hear him speak? And am I, is my life primarily a response to God's speaking voice who's leading me in clear and specific ways? Right? Or am I trying to impose on God my own will and plan? Secondly, am I responding to his revelation when I hear him speak? Am I responding with obedience and faith? Stepping out and doing what God calls me to, no matter how ridiculous it may seem or how impossible it may be. And lastly, am I, am I focusing on the answer ultimately in its eternal, heavenly perspective, not this earthly one? Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.